are in the Advent, Christmas, New Year, Epiphany bonus season of podcasting once again, with plenty to delight your ears between now and when we resume with season six of Queen of the Sciences in the middle of January 2024. Today, I'll be sharing with you the first two of a total of six episodes of my new podcast, Sarah Henlicky Wilson Stories, whose tagline is, for people who need good fiction and good theology at the same time. Nearly all of season one of this new podcast has already dropped, so you can binge if you're that kind of person. I am. All the stories are drawn from Pearly Gates' Parables from the Final Threshold. I recently sat down to work out the statistics on all my books and confirmed my hunch, Pearly Gates is my bestseller. Dozens of readers can't be wrong, haha. <laughs> so you won't want to hesitate a moment longer before jumping on this runaway train. In fact, it might just make the perfect Christmas present for that extremely pious person in your life who is above material desires. Or it could be something to slip into your own Christmas stocking. I'm cool either way. If you're not quite sure that you are one of those people who need good fiction and good theology at the same time, I hope these bonus episodes will at least persuade you to give it a shot. But if you need no further persuasion, just search for Sarah Henlicky Wilson Stories on whatever podcast app you use and it'll turn right up because, let's face it, I have zero competition or disambiguation difficulties where the name Henlicky is concerned. And now, without further ado, here's episodes three and four of Sarah Henlicky Wilson Stories. Welcome to Sarah Henlicky Wilson Stories, for people who need good fiction and good theology at the same time. I'm Sarah. Today I'm bringing you the third story in Pearly Gates, and I already think I have some explaining to do. As in, what exactly are these stories about the final threshold, as the subtitle has it, and where did they come from? The first story, This Is Your Body, which came out a couple weeks ago, is actually based on a real-life experience. Not, I wish to clarify, immediately a near-death experience on my part. Nor even dealing with a mean-spirited lady who is the center of that story. My real-life experience is, however, an amazing example of the tenacity of faith and the power of the sacrament of Holy Communion. Many years ago, I was in my first call as a pastor. It was, to put it mildly, challenging. That whole story is for another day and possibly for a memoir, which, if I ever do write, will be the last thing I write before I die just to be on the safe side. But occasionally, gracious, luminous things happened and broke in on that painful ministry. One of them happened at a woman's deathbed. Now, I hadn't ever actually met this woman before. She was a shut-in, and let's just say something strange in the DNA of the congregation resisted pastoral visits of any kind. I can't quite remember, but it might be that she wasn't conscious anymore or in her right mind. And anyway, her adult children never came to church. I'd seen her name on our rolls, but was never able to make any connection with her. Until, that is, the end was near. Very near. Her senior citizen daughter called me up and wondered if I could visit, and could I bring her mother communion? She was sure her mom would want that. Of course, I was happy to comply. When I got to the house, I realized the case was far more advanced than I'd even thought. The dying woman lay flat on her back in a hospital bed, breathing loud breaths with extreme difficulty. It was clear that she had long since stopped eating, her only fluids and nourishment entering through an IV bag. Something about the color of her skin told me it was a matter of days now, or even hours. 
Well, I realized, of course, that there was no way this woman could chew her communion bread and wine, much less swallow it, but I didn't want to deny her one last opportunity to receive the sacrament either. So I set things up for a home communion with our tiny congregation of three, and once I'd consecrated the elements, I dipped the bread in the wine and touched it to the woman's lips and tongue. Some microscopic fragment stayed with her. I gave the remainder to her daughter to consume. Ten seconds later, as I was pronouncing the benediction, the woman died. This was the first, and still the only time I've witnessed a death. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that my very first thought was, I can see Thestrals now, a reference you'll get if you're a Harry Potter fan. But my second, far more fitting thought was, she hung on to receive the Lord's Supper one last time before she died. I have never seen faith like this. It made me think of the episodes in the Gospels where Jesus himself is surprised by faith from unlikely persons and praises it and blesses it. Surely this woman had the most blessed end imaginable, slipping out of this life with the Lord's body and blood still clinging to her lips. That was the seed of the idea for the first story in Pearly Gates. It sat there a long time before I began to figure out what to do with it, of which I'll say more in a future episode. Today's story is Night Cloak. There's a reason it sits right next to Suitcase in the collection. They're both about not wanting to let go of something, but for very different reasons and with very different results. Night Cloak A woman approached the gates of heaven. She was dressed in a cloak. It covered her whole body, from the hood on her head to the hem that swept around her feet. It was the color of night and kept her well concealed. Slowly and cautiously, she walked all the way round the city. It took her a long time, for the city was very large. Everywhere the gates stood wide open. Anyone could see in. This distressed her. She could see the people moving through the radiant light inside. She could not see sun or moon or stars, but from the center of the city something bright, brighter than the sun, but not painful to the eyes, shone out, sending its beams everywhere. Even the shadows in the city glowed. At last she came back to where she'd begun, not wishing to remain outside any longer, but fearing the light within. She approached an apostle standing by the gate. She kept her head bent down. She tried to think of what to say. Come in, sister, said the apostle in a kindly voice. The door is open. The woman wrapped the cloak tightly about her, took a deep breath, and prepared to step across the portal. Sister, said the apostle, holding up a gentle hand, that cloak will be of no use to you within. I cannot give it up, she cried. I do not ask you to give it up, he answered her. You may take it in, but it will cease to be of use. I will still be glad to have it. You believe it will conceal you, but it will not. There is no night in this city. The cloak will turn to the colors of the day. Nothing will be hidden under it. At this, the woman shrank back. She stepped as far from the gate as she dared. 
No harm will come to you, said the apostle in the same kindly tone. No harm can come to you. It is all locked away forever. I do not fear harm, replied the woman. Still she would come no closer. Then what do you fear? For a long time she would not speak. At last she said, I fear for the others who will see me. As no harm can come to you, no harm can come to them either. But you have not seen me, protested the woman. I am not afraid, nor are the others. You do not know me, cried the woman in a piercing tone. I tell you, I am terrible to see, for I am covered in scars. I have been wounded grievously and never healed. My eyes are rimmed with exhaustion and mistrust. My hair lies thin and lank on my head. In some places I bleed. The injuries in me carry the pain and the memory of the pain, and they will not let it go, not even when I have pleaded with them to release and forget. I am ugly, ugly, ugly. The people within will look on me and know that harm has come into their city. They will hate me and send me out again. I can only stay if I am cloaked so that none will see what I have become. In this city, said the apostle in the gentlest tone yet, all things are seen. Nothing can be cloaked or concealed. Then, said the woman in the tones of deepest despair, I should stay out, for it is better to keep out the bearer of misery than to have the peace of many be poisoned. That is not the way we reason here. The apostle stepped away from the door. He approached the woman very slowly. If you like, he said, I can wrap you in my own cloak and walk in with you so that the people will see the apostle, not the sister who walks with him. Will you stay there with me? You will not need or wish me to stay, he answered. But come now. She allowed the apostle to wrap part of his own cloak about her. It was the many colors of a sunrise. She winced when his hand touched hers, but then relaxed, for it did not hurt. He took a step forward. He waited till her step matched his, so they proceeded to the gate and through it. Within the city, the woman cried out for joy and amazement at the colors of jade and jasper and carnelian and gold, the healing scents of the leaves on the trees and fresh-running water, the glories being sung in many tongues and by many choirs. She felt a heart's ease that she had not known in all the earthly life that she could remember. She simply stood and breathed. She did not know how long, perhaps for centuries. At last the apostle said, You do not need my cloak, but I still have my own. You do, but you do not need it either. He stepped away and his cloak fell away from her shoulders. Her night cloak was struck by the light from the center of the city. Its fibers trembled, grew, shrank, and all at once fell away like tiny, shiny feathers drifting to the ground. The woman was uncovered. She looked down at her body. She was whole and beautiful, and all who gazed on her saw her beauty and loved her and she no longer feared their gaze. 
I hope you've enjoyed listening to Night Cloak from Pearly Gates, Parables from the Final Threshold. If you'd like a paper copy to hold in your hands, visit thornbushpress.com or the online retailer of your choice. You can also listen to all the stories right now by getting the audiobook from the same sources. Support my efforts to create good fiction and good theology at the same time on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sarah Henlicky Wilson. But above all, please tell a friend about the show. Welcome to Sarah Henlicky Wilson Stories. For people who need good fiction and good theology at the same time, I'm Sarah. Last time, I told you about the origin of This Is Your Body, the inaugural story in Pearly Gates, and how it sat alone in my files a long time before I figured out what to do with it. It could easily have been a standalone story, but I must admit, once I crossed that final threshold, I was curious to discover what other mysteries it held. I'm hardly the first to write afterlife fiction. The granddaddy of them all is Dante, with his divine comedy. But if the premise held promise, I wanted to explore it in a different way. The intriguing thing about the pearly gates is that they represent what we could inelegantly but accurately term the no-BS zone. As long as we are on this earth, there is always the potential for a deceptive mismatch between our external presentation and the state of our souls. That goes both ways, of course. Some who look unholy on the outside are holy on the inside, and some who look holy on the outside are unholy on the inside, though I'd lay my bets on most of us being a very confusing blend of the two, both inside and out. But when you reach that final threshold, all masks are unmasked, and the persona gives way to the person. All satisfying stories lead to a crisis often a crisis of truth, often a truth heavily freighted with moral significance. The stories in Pearly Gates simply jump the line of exposition and plot and take you straight to the crisis. I've called them parables, following the idea that a parable is a fiction that tells a truth about a person that could be anyone, and in the process discloses a divine truth. One of the reviewers of the collection thought fable would be a better term, as in Aesop's fables. I could certainly live with that, though I wouldn't want the takeaway from these stories to be, and the moral of the story is, it matters in these stories that, more often than not, it's the actions of the apostle or the lord that make the difference, not those of the person at the crisis point. Another reviewer called Pearly Gates a provocative devotional. That, I think, gets at the heart of it. These are stories for spiritual upbuilding as much as for personal insight and the desired outcome is increased devotion to the Lord of the Gospel. I've been so heartened to hear from a number of readers that these stories have done exactly that for them. Today's story is Another Lord. Any believer with even the slightest awareness of other cultures and religions, not to mention the number of people who lived before Christ or Moses or Abraham, will sooner or later wonder what becomes of those people after their death. Is it just their rotten luck to be born in the wrong time and the wrong place? 
Or do they get a pass because their ignorance was invincible, to use Thomas Aquinas's delightful phrase? But if they do get a pass, then isn't it worse luck to live in a time where you could have known the gospel but might have failed to respond appropriately or adequately? Why bother with faith or obedience at all if truth and love don't really make any difference? The biblical record is clear that God does not desire the death of a sinner, and God does not condemn on arbitrary technicalities. The biblical record is equally clear that God cares very much about truth, especially truth concerning himself, and the response of faith and love that ensues from knowing divine truth. So this story is one way to imagine how these things might be reconciled. Another Lord There was a man who worshipped and loved a Lord who was not the Lord. He devoted all of his life to this Lord's service, wrote hymns and tracts and books, taught and explained, and brought others to faith in this Lord. He was a kind man and wise about his own soul, and eager, when he died, to meet the one whom he had served and adored so long. Then he found himself before the gates of heaven, faced with the Lord, who was not his Lord. Who are you? he said. I am the Lord, said the Lord. But is my Lord not the Lord? He is not. And where is he? He is here. He now recognizes me as Lord, though he did not know me before. At this the man grieved, for he did not know the Lord and did not love him, and longed for his own Lord. Can I not see my Lord? he asked. You will see him when you recognize the same Lord that he does. The man withdrew. His sorrow felt as deep as eternity. He sat down and grieved. It was a long grief. At last, after some unaccountable time, the man arose and returned to the gate. The Lord waited for him still. Would you come in? The Lord asked him. I would, said the man, but I cannot yet, for I do not know you, and I do not love you. But I do love my Lord, and if he calls you his Lord, then I must do the same. So teach me how to love you, that I may both be with him and recognize you. The Lord said, Wait at the gate then, and greet those whom you knew and taught in the life before. They will grieve also like you, but not as deeply as you have grieved. Teach them that I am the Lord, so that they may know my ways. Then you will come to love me. These were sore words for the man, for he had hoped the new love would come easily, but he still longed for his old Lord and knew he could not be made right with him until he was made right with the true Lord. So they came, one by one, sometimes in twos, those he had known before. He met them at the gate and taught them of the new Lord. They were surprised, and sometimes sad, and some had to withdraw to grieve, but never so long as had the man himself. They asked questions he could not answer, so he returned to the Lord to ask for the answer, and then he brought the answer back to them. 
This he did dutifully, but without joy, while many passed through the gates and left him outside. At last there came an end to those he had known and taught. He found in his soul that he trusted the Lord, but still did not love him. Shall I enter now? he asked of the Lord. For those I have taught have all come in. Do you love me? asked the Lord. I do not, said the man. There are now coming those, said the Lord, whom you did not meet in the flesh, but who have read your words, and so have come to a faith in your Lord. These also you may teach. So the man remained outside the gate and waited for those who had read his words. As they came, he taught them, and they came to trust and love the Lord. But soon the man realized that there would be no end of those who read his words, and if he should wait till the end, he should never enter the gates. Yet he found his heart still cold toward the Lord. At last there came one who had read the man's words and believed in the other Lord. He did not greet the news of the true Lord with joy or even sadness. He greeted it with anger. I will have none of this new Lord, the second man said to the first one. He is not a new Lord, but the oldest Lord of all, said the first. He is a scandal and a charlatan. Who can believe what is said of him? It is true. I have seen the wounds myself. Then it is true. But he will not win me with his wounds. He is not what I wanted in the life before, and he is not what I want now. You cannot be right with our Lord until you are right with this Lord. Then I will not have either. I will have no Lord. You will always have a Lord. If you will not have the Lord or our Lord, you will have only yourself as Lord. Then I shall be a Lord, and you shall be one too. Come away with me, and we shall be Lords together. But without the Lord, I can never see the Lord we once had. He is a scoundrel and a charlatan, too, who taught us amiss. He did not know. It is no excuse. There is no need for other lords now. You know what is true and can choose in knowledge instead of fumbling in faith. Come with me. The first man then grieved more deeply than ever, for he felt in his heart the bitterness of a life of false faith. And he saw for the first time the possibility of a choice made in full knowledge. The temptation was very great. But greater still was his love for his old Lord. And when he knew that his love for his old Lord was greater than the desire to be his own Lord, he also knew that he had begun to love the true Lord, who loved and forgave the one who had taught and led others in a false faith. Do not be your own Lord, he said to the second man, but come with me into the joy of this true Lord. The second man would not be persuaded. The first man delayed his entry into the gates in hopes of changing the heart of the second, but it was no use. At last the second man walked away and disappeared from the first man's sight. This was the greatest grief of all. At last, when he saw there was nothing he could do, 
The man turned and approached the gates. The Lord asked him, Do you love me? The man said, Yes, Lord, I love you. And he entered in and was united with his old Lord, and the two of them together with their new Lord, and all of heaven rejoiced. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Another Lord from Pearly Gates, Parables from the Final Threshold. If you'd like a paper copy to hold in your hands, visit thornbushpress.com or the online retailer of your choice. You can also listen to all the stories right now by getting the audiobook from the same sources. Support my efforts to create good fiction and good theology at the same time on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sarah Hinlicky Wilson. But above all, please tell a friend about the show. <laughs>